I'd like to welcome back DJ Keep Rumi. Today we have two picks, as usual, for this episode. They are True Love and High Adventure by Grand Drive and Songs of Pain and Leisure by T.W. Walsh. I'm going to uh, say hi. Hi first to DJ Keep Rumi. How's it going? Howdy. I'm good. (laughs) Howdy is the appropriate greeting for today. We're going to talk about Old Country a bit. The first album, True Love and High Adventure, is as follows. I can give the basic information about it. It is from the year 2000, and we're going to talk about different versions that were out there, and it was turned into different compilations. That is nine tracks, 51 minutes. It is on the label Loose. We have found it on uh, AMG, All Music Guide. It has only 10 ratings. So compare that to our obscurity quiz. It's at uh, several orders of magnitude more obscure than that. But I, I would certainly say that to start things off, and I'll, I'll, I'll let my, my co-host concur with that as it was his pick, that uh, I would I would rather listen to this album than, than pretty much anything on the obscurity quiz that we just did. So what do you, what, tell us about the album. What do you think? Oh, hey, well, that's um, that's that's pretty high, high praise for me. Maybe Nico Case, the Jayhawks and or Wil- Wilco would give this a pretty good, uh, good run for its money. Okay. But yeah, I still like Grand Drive quite a bit. This is kind of an interesting choice because the, the album that I picked, Tr- True Love and High Adventure, um, is actually quite hard to find. Indeed. I, I couldn't track down my original copy. So for interested listeners, uh, you know, almost all streaming services, uh, the, the best we can do, I'm afraid, is find Grand Drive's greatest hits album that was released in 2013 and then listen to just tracks 7 through 11. Pretty specific instructions there. If I interrupt you, it's on YouTube. <laughs> oh, it's they have, on, they, it's on they have an official channel. And I want to say also that on YouTube, it has about 140 views. <laughs> so something sub anemic. So Okay. So were you able to listen to the whole album on um, on YouTube? Because for I me, was, it, I was. Oh, okay. For me, it shows up on uh, YouTube, but then it's it says it's blocks in, in my country. Um, oh, that's weird. So I'd have to get the get the VPN on. Say you're from and, Thailand. That's really weird. <laughs> and and give it give it another try. So maybe being uh, closer to uh, Australia. I don't I don't know. You can uh, <laughs> you can listen to more of it. But yeah, I can do. So what is that? Five tracks. And then there's a video. Ladder to the Stars is also posted to YouTube. Um, so you can supplement with that as well. But yeah, if you have an international audience, it'll be interesting to see where where the album is streamable and where it's not um, streamable from yeah there's uh, there's one album i think it's the compilation on apple music also and uh yeah avoid there's a there's a grand drive from london on Bandcamp. it's an imposter don't believe it and uh yeah this is if you want to own the album i can the only thing i can track down is uh on ebay or on discogs there are copies for sale and i would recommend everyone you know go ahead and pick it up it's it's worth it Great. So yeah, this was a alt alt country group active in London in the early 2000s, and I actually happened upon them um, because I was doing a semester abroad as a as an undergrad in the fall of 2001 in in London, and then uh, Steve Earle had a had a big concert somewhere in London, and interestingly, they they just had Grand Drive play. Uh, you know, it was at one of these kind of mega coliseums, and then Grand Drive just kind of played in. Um, it was an it was an authorized show that you know they they were paid for, but you could either mm-hmm. pay thirty dollars or you know something like that to go see Steve Earle. And I, I'm actually I'm not a particularly big uh, Steve Earle fan, but I think I I saw that there was this kind of tie-in concert that was uh, free, so I went and checked out uh, Grand Drive clear back in 2001, so that would have been, you know, within the, the year or two of their first release, and was was really, really impressed. They're a good good live group, and I don't know that that's uh, an opener formula that I've ever seen uh, imitated, to, to have the opening group be outside the venue and free. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you could kind of decide. So I thought that was that was kind of neat, especially since that was during the the undergrad days. That you know, even the organizers of a uh, of a paid concert had the forethought to do that. And in a way, I think that almost works better for the opening group because mm-hmm. uh, you know sometimes, it's, especially for popular artists, you know, a lot of the audience is uh, 
is not too patient with the openers. Kindly, to put it I, kindly, yes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I paid my eighty dollars for Bob Dylan, not this, uh, you know, un, unknown. He's no, and, you no, know, nobody's. Paying, yeah, yeah. Paying the babysitter by the hour, blah blah blah. So I, I, I really liked that. Not often imitated. Just have have the opener free and outside the the venue. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Was the was there a crowd there? Did they have an audience or uh, was it? Oh yeah, sparse? I mean they yeah they had a, a, a respectable crowd, um, and I think they might they might have even played both before and after the Earl show. So I I, I may have caught hmm. them after. Yeah, and I think there were at least a hundred hundred two hundred people there, something like that. So that's a that's a possibility. They might be significantly better known in Britain than in the states, perhaps then. I would say here in the States, but, you know, yeah, and uh, part of the confusion and why they're so obscure and hard to track down might be because uh, they're so different versions of their, their releases and they didn't get a U.S. release until it was a compilation, as I recall. So having a larger fan base in one one place or another, even though they this is the label that they're on loose is considered an Americana label. And I wonder if that's just what... Uh, what other countries call our our country music? Uh, do you have, have thoughts on that? No, I haven't thought too much about that. Is that a actually a Grammy category now as well? I think that might be. I think America Americana is getting to be maybe the kind of preferred term for something in the range of folk folk country, like the, the songwriter Avid, kind of things. Yeah. The, the Avit brothers maybe do well in the Americana category. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And this. Uh, before we get into the album, I think I'd also like to ask the, you know, just the, the burning question in my mind is that, is that are Australian British guys, are they allowed to make country music? And uh, isn't, isn't authenticity supposed to be pretty important in, in most styles of music? Would we consider their, their country Americana to be false, uh, a front, a facade? What do you think of that? No, I, I think that's I think that's fine. I, sometimes, you know, having the that distance in there can actually encourage people to listen more in, intently. You know, mm. I mean, think of the you know the Rolling Stones being obsessed with American blues music, or I mean, one one of my all time favorites, Nick Lowe, is okay. just so so familiar with all kinds of American popular music styles from kind of you know mm-hmm. mid century. So he'll go mm-hmm. from crooner to R&B to country. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, Brits or uh, Kiwis all, all are welcome and could well be better than uh, a lot of the Americans. Yeah. Hold out that possibility, but I and 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 also that the that uh, the majority of twang and vocals could be an affectation. I think is entirely possible, and, uh, and for, uh, exaggerated. for Americans too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, 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 you know, no, no American just decided to yodel of their own uh, of their own devices. It's uh, <laughs> yes, it's a form. Yeah, <laughs> if your if your yodeling accent is uh, is off, you lose all your street cred pretty much. I also wonder, since you mentioned that you saw them live, I wonder since we're we're talking about country, are these this is not the kind of country that you would imagine in, in, a, in a Western movie that could be played in a saloon unless it was a very large stage with a lot more instruments than, the, than just a piano. Yeah, I mean, for me, if you called T.W. Walsh or Grand Drive just, you know, rock music as opposed to hard rock or folk rock, I don't think that would seem strange to me. I mean, of the instruments they have, they don't use the banjo or the slide guitar or something like that over much. Hmm. Um, don't, they don't, you know, none of them have particularly twangy vocals to to my ear. But then neither neither does Wilco, you know, and they're considered all sure. considered country. So sure enough, sure enough, yeah. So the boundaries to be uh, to be considered. I wonder who is who is the intended audience for this uh, this album before we get into it. Also, who are they who are they making this for? I mean, if they if it didn't. You didn't uh, sell like hotcakes, I gather. So, are they? Were, do you think they were trying to break into the American market very hard? Or uh, yeah, I mean, I, one of the other things you noted is that this is a group of uh, two two brothers um, mm-hmm. recording together. So it you know it probably started as a a, a labor of love. And uh, yeah, that question of uh, where is their audience? It may well be something that befuddled them as well. So I can't. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think they certainly deserve a, a bigger audience. Sure, sure, sure. And if we, if, you know, never mind the saloon, but if you played them in a like a, a, a bar in the south, I don't think people would, you know, stand up and walk out if they knew that they were, you know, British or anything. I think it's, you know, the, the music speaks for itself and can stand with the best. Sure. You want to 
Um, do you want to jump into it? It's your your pick. Yeah. So just to give the the biographical overview, they were active between 2000 and then 2007, and then apparently the the lead singer Danny George Wilson split off and then made uh, a new group. Danny and the Champions of the World, which is a reference to a Roald Dahl novel of of nearly the same name. Danny Champions of the World has, in fact, now been active from 2008 to 2017, still releasing albums on um, the Loose label, which is a a British independent label. So perhaps we'll have to I'd I'd kind of lost track of uh, Grand have to follow up now with uh, Danny and the Champions of the World, as he's been known the last 10 years. So That uh, answers the where are they now question. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be a, kind of a weird review because it, it was my choice. I couldn't track down the original CD of mine. So I was o- only able to re-listen to, I guess there's nine tracks. So I'm missing three or four songs that I wasn't, wasn't able to find a way to access. So I'll be curious if some of those were your favorites. But yeah, I mean, of, of the songs, I reviewed. I found them almost universally universally strong. Nobody's mm-hmm. song in, in particular was maybe a bit of a skipper, a bit a bit slow. Not no quite kidding, as no kidding. Wow. Hmm. But then all the others, a little numb, sleepy wheels. The the, the title track, a ladder to the stars. I, I found them all uh, really really strong. I find the uh, lead singer's voice to be pretty cap- captivating. He doesn't have. Hmm. Um, and an incredibly strong range in terms of, you know, what's the highest note or the lowest note he can sing. But he kind of has a formula that works for him where often, you know, by the second verse, he's going to kind of push his range to its absolute limit, which means he'll be singing quite quite expressively. So alt country could could maybe be a genre that some of the songs could be a bit kind of mellow or or boring. But I, I, I think the fact that Danny Wilson pushes his voice so hard, so consistently, he kind of makes sure if you think you, you know, you have a handle on this song and you're getting a little bored and it's going to be a little kind of repetitive and, and lullaby-ish, <laughs> um, it seems like that he he really has that instinct to to, to push his uh, his vocals to make sure you're still uh, really captivated. Just real quick finish. I thought that uh, whenever he was you know out of his range or pushing too hard, I felt like the, the harmonization really kicked in and really backed him up nicely. But uh, go on. Yeah. So one of the references I was thinking of was Crosby, Stills and Nash. You know, with that folk music with a lot sure. of harmonization. This this is someone who's unique enough. He's maybe not cited as a reference too much, but I was kind of reminded mm-hmm. of uh, Van Morrison as well. So like a an album like uh, Astral Weeks, not only in terms of someone uh, pushing their vocal range in this kind of somewhat mellow folk rock context, but just in terms of getting really experimental with instrumentation as well. So for what one of the things that's maybe mm-hmm, surprising, mm-hmm. knowing um, this is relatively unknown, they probably didn't have a big budget. And then you listen to the album and it's it's quite beautifully mixed. And then they also have vibraphones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and saxophones and strings and and organs. And I don't I don't know. I count uh, harmonica, strings, pianos, flutes, organs, brass. It's, it's orchestral. And I think yeah, it really gets to the uh, it goes very much against is that what, what little I know of Van Morrison is that he's a fairly minimalist or, you know, kind of more of a guitar and singer kind of a guy. I'm, I could be wrong on that. But these are maximalists and grand and and soulfully rich. It sounds like a really uh, well-developed and uh, produced and, as you said, mixed sound to get all those different instruments. And also, the, it, it goes against the idea that you can make a, a country album with just a washtub bass and some spoons or some clack and some silverware. I think this is this is definitely more of a more of an ensemble <laughs> than a band, it seems at times. Yeah, so Danny, you know, Danny Wilson is the lead vocalist and guitarist, um, and then his brother Julian Wilson plays keyboards. So I don't, you know, I I don't know how much and and this is not something I'm uh, particularly attached to, but good on them if uh, his brother just really knows his keyboards. And that was just I, I don't know how much of the saxophones were really saxophones or the vibraphones were really vibraphones, etc. A lot of that could have just <laughs> been really, really getting a good keyboard and, and knowing how to mix it well. I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, give uh, give Van Morrison another listen because his stuff, I would say, the the sweep in terms of the instrumentation and is, if anything, even bigger than uh, than Grand Drive. So yeah, okay. he gets no kidding. I, I I stand corrected. <laughs> Any standout tracks you wanted to uh, to talk about? So, give one. so my standout track was actually the one that you found skippable. Nobody's song in particular. I liked it because it was uh, it left room for a guitar solo and it didn't feel like country as the rest. So I think overall, it, it, the, this is the, the albums, the song, the songs kind of blended together for me a bit. What another critic said that what kept this album from being great was that uh, it didn't have a, an obvious single, to which I would say the track Wheels would be the one that I think is the most radio friendly. And it's got an easy melody and it uh, covers the universal theme of returning home. And as for blending in the album, I would say that it blends in a good way. It's very sentimental and uh, without being syrupy or not just focused on romantic relationships, because there are obviously other lots of other sentiments from to choose from. And I would say I would call it sweet and longing. And another one that we could listen to with our grandparents, which I think is a is a vacation that very few can claim. And very rarely, rarely do the the terms psychedelic and gospel are used to describe the same album. I have seen reviews using both of those terms. Some superlative reviews out, out there. <laughs> if I had to go with one, maybe just Ladder to the Stars is, is really good. And um, for the U.S. audience, you have to find that on YouTube. And True Love and High Adventures is a really strong one where they bring back a somewhat under underutilized instrument known as the ebo have you heard of this i've heard of it i couldn't identify it but uh, go ahead okay so an, an, an ebo i think can be had new for about a hundred dollars it's a handheld battery powered electric bow for the guitar um that that couldn't be easier to play where you just kind of hold it over a given string and then it makes hmm. that that string vibrate for you. So if you go back there, I, I think REM actually had an album called Ebo the, the Letter, which, uh, as promised, um, they used that device on uh, on that album a lot. So if you go back and listen to uh, True Love and, and High Adventures, the, the the title track, and listen for kind of background instrument that sounds almost like a violin, but a little on the kind of simple and and uh, electrified side, uh, that they're they're almost definitely using an, an Ebo there on a guitar. But yeah. As a whole, I found the I could only get a hold of about two thirds of the album in the U.S. online. Even looking at options that are paid subscriptions or or individual purchase, was was really glad to to hear how good it still sounded to me. Following being somewhat disappointed when I went to listen to the greatest hits album, you know, mm -hmm. the first few mm -hmm. tracks. I wasn't as impressed by and and I think they must have switched their sound engineer or just the way they they recorded so for American audience members if you if you compare tracks one through six versus tracks uh, seven th through 13 it's an interesting experiment because they really kind of changed the, the the sound of their recording is a little bit more you know all the instruments kind of blend together everything is uh, a bit maybe mixed with a little bit more more reverb and it it uh, almost ruins their sound. Following the disappointment of, of seeing how much I, I didn't like the, the first tracks of the greatest hits, I thought the the back end, which was all drawn from uh, True Love and High Adventures, was all really really strong. Not really a weak weak track among them. Sleep Sleepy, I didn't find a, a bad track. It just wasn't quite as uh, engaging as as the others to me. Okay, I think uh, two that you probably missed then, uh, giving the incomplete album were uh, My Best Side, which uh, was a a male-female duet that actually reminded me a little bit of one of your favorite uh, Bob Dylan albums where he's backed by Emmylou Harris. And uh, I think it should be heard by all fans of uh, male-female duets in full country, soul, and blues. And uh, the closing track also called One Last Parade appropriately with a, an organ that sounds almost like a calliope that I, I included in my, my circus music mix. So there's there's actually, actually I, now that I think of it, a good bit of variety on the on the on the album probably yeah. some of the lesser tracks you'd say yeah and i just i mean I've, i don't think i've heard those for 10 years or more mm -hmm. yeah well gotta dig in storage for your copy i guess yeah emmy lou harris and uh graham parsons have the the famous uh albums where they they did some uh duets did she never did she never back up dylan i th I, I looked it up i thought she was on the uh that the one on your list maybe i'm mistaken yeah, let's 
see here. If I'm mistaken, then uh, I'll edit this out. And if you're mistaken, yeah, well, it gosh, looks like I'm going to lord it over uh, you. She, she does, Emmylou Harris does a couple songs on Desire, but is, that's is much what I mean. Famous, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Much more, more famous <laughs> for, the, uh, for the duets with uh, Graham Parsons. Okay. Well, I'm not a fan, but anyway, I'm going to lord that over you. That I, <laughs> okay. I got, I got, the, I got Dylan's backup singer right. <laughs> Any chance I get? So no, I think I'm definitely reminded of good old days on these songs. There's a, there's nostalgia, but it's not a patronizing or falsely romanticized one that you can I think find in a lot of a lot of more popular country songs in America. That I think are you know, they are really they're almost like dog whistle songs where they're you're making a veiled references to you know segregated days in the South, for example. I, I there's definitely a it's a it's a feeling that goes that permeates through the whole album that you could relax and be wholesome and uh, just uh, enjoy yourself and a, 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 an album on the jukebox in a in a southern bar and uh, everything was okay. <laughs> And uh, that's that's the feeling I get from this the, the album as a whole. Yeah, you know, in, inoffensive, mellow, and still a really uh, captivating uh, listen, which is hard to hard to pull all that off. Mm-hmm. Do you have more personally to say, or can I bring in some uh, outside reviews? Yeah, sure. Bring in the. Let's hear what others had to say. Okay, so the, the negative one. This is this was really surprising to me. In a UK uncut review from 2003, gave it only one and a half stars out of five, saying that quote, it lacks that indefinable extra spark, but maybe someday they might live up to their potential. Would it would this impress somebody? And it would say, I gotta I gotta hear this on the radio, or is there does it need uh, more energy? in any way. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I totally disagree with that review as, as you'd expect. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be, be curious to, if, if that same publication or reviewer continues with Grand Drive as they release more albums, what he thought of their, of their later stuff. Given, given that it was in 2003, they didn't have much more, I think. Oh, so this was for a 2003. Yeah. So you wonder if he, yeah, um, yeah. if he got past the first uh, few songs that I, I didn't, yeah, I don't, I don't like the mix of their, of their later stuff, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I, you, you wonder if a one and a half star review that just says lacks that spark. I mean, did he even get to the second half of the album before <laughs> yeah, writing, writing that up? Yeah, it was only a paragraph review, too. And he was saying that, you know, basically the Jayhawks took several tries to release their their perfect album that I mentioned in the obscurity quiz, uh, Hollywood Town Hall. And uh, that he was just hoping that they would continue to be, I guess, more radio accessible and having a breakout single, I think, which maybe is not what they were ever going for in the first place. Were there other reviews? you found yeah just a couple a couple of other four-star reviews new music express and all music guide i think uh, you 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 cited before also they they're both very well regarded four stars and uh, i think generally user rated even higher I, I i tend to agree with that and i should say um those are all the reviews i should say but i and if you ever played for this for me in college i want to take a moment and mention you possibly may have pushed it on me in college and i'm probably at the time would have uh, reflexively dismissed it as just more country and why are you having me listen to country and so I think that that's a that's a problem that too many in my uh, from my geographic region of, of uh, the north, I guess, looking looking down on things that sound southern, not even knowing that they're not actually country. And so in this case, actually being British Australian. But because you think that you don't like country or you don't like hip hop or something that is so polarizing that you'll decide that you won't listen to something just because you think it is that thing. And I think you should all overcome that and give this one a listen, even if you don't like country. Yeah, and then they're also just different, could be into different music at different stages of your life as well. Like I'm reminded of, um, the, you know, the guy from uh, The Replacements, Paul Paul Westerberg, ended up doing solo singer-songwriter guitar stuff later later in his life. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a kind of uh, default question he was asked, you know, what would... Uh, Paul Westerberg of uh, 1990 thought of the you know solo singer songwriter stuff you're doing now. He says, "Oh, I, w- I would have thought it was absolute boring garbage. I never would have listened to it." So sure. sure. So here's uh, yeah. to. Here's to being dynamic and changing in different stages of life and uh, being open to trying new things that we thought we didn't like. Are you ready to uh, give a rating? Um, yeah, 
I think I am. Okay, uh, I'll I'll go first, and I say uh, I really liked it. I think it's uh, does it's all the right uh, the the right feelings and uh, the right themes and uh, lyrics, music, instrumentation, uh, all very very nice, nicely mixed as you mentioned, nicely produced. I'll give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I think that's with the asterisk um, that I'm missing three songs or so at least, if not if not four. Although I trust your your review um, that there were no turkeys in the mix. Um, I think I I'd, I'd give it. And eight also with the asterisk that I, I was only able to listen to two thirds or uh, or three fourths of it before the review. A really impressive range of uh, instrumentation and a quality recording for for a group that probably didn't have a, a ton of money to to put into it. And you'll even notice uh, the musicianship is is quite strong. Like sometimes they'll kind of sneak in and pay, play slightly ahead of the beat on purpose to surprise you with just one of the instruments, which is like in uh, jazz music than in than in popular music. I'm I'm not as attached uh, as as you are to calling it country music in in some respect. I mean to me, it's, I mean this sounds like even a, a a more negative thing to call it uh, you know light light rock or pop rock or uh, some something like that oh, don't um, don't call it soft oh my yeah hey, soft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just uh, really really good uh, popular music that draws on a number of traditions beautifully recorded so yeah we're both in total agreement uh, eight out of ten yeah, that's that's great I do think though that uh, just hearing you mention you know just that you you found the skippable my favorite track and then you mentioning the playing ahead of the beat on other things i think i think we we may may just be butting heads on listening to music in different ways and i think that that's ultimately good for getting a variety of uh, ways to appreciate things but uh it may mean for you and i talking past each other probably you more than me with the technical stuff <laughs> as a songwriter and a more of a musician yourself something to keep in mind yeah mm. Uh, yeah, just serves as a as a reminder to go check out uh, what Danny and the Champions of the World um, have have been up to because I'd um, lost track of uh, of Grand Grand Drive. Taking this as a as a reminder to follow the members of this group uh, into the most recent decade, also. Mm-hmm. I think also the the difficulty of tracking them down on a streaming platform. This album, I, I, I don't know if that's a an argument for the the necessity to keep physical media in rotation, not uh, let it degrade or get lost. Because uh, not everything that uh, not everything that you like, especially if it's obscure, is going to make it onto YouTube or or any streaming platform. So, I think uh, transitioning to the second pick, then I think that uh, first of all, I think the album titles fit very well t- together. Something A and B in both cases, and I, I would I would say that both both can work as a country and folk music. Although you you somewhat disagree that it, Grand Drive is country music, for people who think that they don't like country and folk, I wonder if going back to the the discussion of alt country and uh, folk rock and southern rock, uh, do do you think those distinctions are meaningful and uh, useful old country versus folk rock versus southern rock are they uh, basically not worth separating or it, distinctive it's, you know it's it's not something i've i've given a ton of thought or or that you know go looking for for music i mean this could be the subject of a whole nother episode but um, especially for for younger artists i lean pretty heavily on npr's tiny desk to introduce me to people that are that are under 30 years old you know if i'm listening to someone on there I, i i don't think you know now now wait a minute is this is this punk or not you know because i i listen to punk music you know so genre distinctions can seem seem yeah. fairly hair splitting and and not fully fully useful to me okay i'm going to take the opposing position and find that it's very important because uh to give the example back in our oberlin days i remember seeing josh ritter play live in oberlin and then concluding well i don't like folk music <laughs> you know this is the guy who's critically acclaimed and i should like him for all all sorts of reasons and i just wasn't feeling his uh, his live work and so when i think that i don't like folk music or i don't like country music which i think a lot of people from my you know from my state of wisconsin will or, you know, reflexively reject country music or hip-hop and, and so forth if you, if you put the alternative before that for, for example or you say well it's not totally folk it's partially rock it, it opens me up and makes me less likely to just say well this has got twang and i don't like country music with twang in it i was i was just that prejudiced i will admit back in high school and uh, even even through 
college for a large portion of it. Personally, I think that's, I have some issues about being born in Kentucky and having relatives that I consider Southerners. But, uh, and I wonder if, uh, you know, this, this idea of having modifiers of the larger ideas, is it, is it pop or is it country or rock and so forth? I think that can bring people back in from the cold, so to speak, and edge people away from the extreme position that there is nothing of value coming from an entire genre of music, whereas it would be dismissed given no modifier, but if you add the alternative, then you think, well, this is going to be different than what I'm expecting, and then you're more likely to give it a chance if you were otherwise to reject it wholesale, which is a bad idea. And uh, I think that's something that we can try to find common ground with people who only like a certain kind of country, even like, say, a country fan who is a Trump supporter, and to give them some alternative country to listen to. And maybe that could also edge them away from the extreme of that unspeakable thing. You know, it, it cuts both ways. I mean, I think with, with genre, I, I, you know, I might kind of be carrying more the memory of in in high school where it where you know people kind of identify by taste as you know i absolutely listen to this and this genre of music where in in all of them there are so many um exceptions like you know broadly speaking you know i wouldn't say that i'm a fan of most country music there's so there would be very little so-called you know country radio i would i would listen to but if i started you know putting together a list of artists i could probably come up with you know, 25 or 30, you know, country musicians that I that I like quite a lot. But I mean, in, in any popular genre at this point, there's hundreds and hundreds of, of examples. So, you know, I think when, when we were sorting out taste preferences earlier, you know, I kind of st- stick by my comment that if you actually like a genre quite a bit, that actually means you've probably listened to and disliked more individual artists and tracks than than someone who just won't give that genre you know the time of day to begin with because they didn't like uh, one one example of that so that's wherever our taste goes that's also where we tend to draw the finer distinctions as as well Mm. all right so picking up where we left off we're going to continue with a great connection to talk about uh, the new band not so new or the post grand drive band of danny wilson that being danny and the champions of the world and uh, we ended our, our previous session talking about genre and whether uh, whether grand drive actually qualified as country you said you agreed that alt country is at play on on danny and, and champions of the world you you would uh, accept that for for danny yeah i mean that doesn't seem totally off to me but you know you know if you called them uh folk rock or something of the like as as well i would be you know okay with okay with that as well i think there's there's a lot of subtleties at play and uh what's actually listening to the entire discography which is you know sizable i think five or six albums i am convinced that americana is a thing that needs to be taken seriously because uh, over the course of the, uh, this, the discography, and you said, uh, which which albums did you say you listened to? Listen to the first half of What Kind of Love. I have two notes on that. I just said bluesy soul. <laughs> and then for uh, previous ones, I say that he fully embraced slide guitars, banjo, and mandolin to sound full country. And then on a 2011 album, I find that they are New Jersey rock that is just, you know, I would say a little bit derivative of Bruce Springsteen. And the uh, All Music Guide agrees with me. So I, I think that uh, Americana, I can't place the full album, so no, but he does shift styles subtly, but subtly but clearly between albums and sometimes between songs. Did you find the quality up to your standard? Yeah, no, I was I was uh, pleased with with what I heard. Though I listened to five or six songs in total, it sounded really good. It sounded like it was it was mixed well. Where the, mm-hmm. the the Grand Drive discography, you know, the easiest thing to find in the U.S. is greatest hits compilation, and then the the mixing is just so different that mm. some of the Grand Drive greatest hits, you know, I can't can't quite tell if this is a good song or not because the the mix mm. is just too glossy and kind of mushing everything together in a, in a way that's unpleasant but I, yeah from what i heard of the and the champions they're all really really nicely produced it uh it it makes me wonder what the backstory is because it seems that brother julian on the keyboards was is not <laughs> with danny and the champions from what i can tell uh where right. he was listed as the second most important person after the the lead band in grand drive and then of course he's also you know elevated himself like uh, nico case and her boyfriends or nick cave and the bad seeds to be the 
named leader of the band. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on there to a backstory there. To, yeah, I don't know if they did they part acrimoniously and now there's a family feud or something. Or, yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I did see that uh, in one of the descriptions of, of one of the albums that there is a, a song that is called a, a farewell letter to Grand Drive. I'm trying to I'm trying to find the uh, the note of that which which album it was on, but it was uh, definitely not a happy song. There was there was so, regret and uh, feelings. <laughs> so how would you rank Danny and the Champions uh, albums? My favorite was actually their debut. It's uh, the most distinctive and quirky, I would say. Uh, 2010's Streets of Our Time, I, I, I have written down that it's country Bob Dylan. Compared to Grand Drive, which I think was doing something quite unique, I actually found Danny and the Champions to be a little bit more dr- derivative and, you know, traditional and... You know, they've got uh, Danny's. Danny's voice is more singled out in the mix, and uh, for better and worse. And I think he he benefited from the harmonies on, on Grand Drive. I found actually 2017's Brilliant Light, which is almost almost 80 minutes long, extremely long, and they're a lot more devoted to you know repeating the title of the song you know umpteen times, which I you know don't particularly appreciate. Definitely the debut. This sounds freshest to me. There are seven or eight uh, albums that are all available. So interesting that, you know, not only those are there, but for whatever reason that the Grand Drive discography is is just harder to access. Yeah, I don't know what what goes into that uh, that reasoning. Yeah. But uh, you you find a lot of continuity overall, more more than a divergence. With the the half of what kind of love I listen to, I, I think you're right. It, it sounds a little bit less rock and a little bit more folksy. I, I think that Danny does have a strong enough voice that it can warrant putting him out front a little bit more. He has an interesting mm-hmm. voice that both is a bit nasally, but then really bright as well, mm-hmm. which is a kind of strange combination that maybe is one of the reasons Van Morrison is someone who sounds a little similar or is a point of in- influence with the kind of sweeping kind of soul influenced uh, vocals of a, of a similar quality. And then also, I continue to be impressed both with Grand Drive and his newer group with the the number of instruments they're using, you know, where they, you know, they could get by with mm-hmm. a smaller, a smaller outfit, but mm-hmm. insisting on, you know, continuing to have the saxophones and the like. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely by, by, by all means, still in the upper echelons of what I would consider country. That said, I don't think I'll be listening to it again for a little while, but that's not to detract from its quality. After, you know, listening to seven albums. You're now swayed about the, the usefulness of Americana more, more generally. Are there other groups that then you would you feel you maybe understand a little bit better having this? Well, I think the, the foreignness, the foreignness, and I go back to whether a British Americana band is, is a well-crafted simulacrum of, of the real thing or not. And uh, so it, listening to all the, the different styles that he changes, I, I say that he's a chameleon, taping his hat to luminaries of the past from Dylan to Springsteen and so forth. So it got to be in the point of where I could say, I think it's in this general area, but for any given song or any given album, I can't put quite put my finger on exactly where it fits in into one single style. It's more of a throwing up my hands and giving up than it is to say that I know what other bands fit into this category of Americana. Yeah, so I have a definition here from, it looks like there's an association, Americanamusic.org, that calls it contemporary music that incorporates elements of various American roots music, including mm-hmm. country, roots rock, folk, bluegrass, R&B, soul, and so on. It has something to do with uh, being inspired by genres of the past, garage rock okay. not included. You know, so, sure enough, sure uh, enough. Might sum it up as folk CBGB plus soul, something like that, <laughs> in this case. Yeah, we. Um, I, I would say that my favorite performer that fits in um, this genre is uh, Nick Lowe. He started off as more of a rock act and maybe to this day remains most famous for being the sound engineer for a lot of Elvis Costello records. So the really well-known Elvis Costello song, uh, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, is, is a Nick Lowe song that Elvis covered. No. But later in his career, Nick Lowe is someone kind of like uh, Nick, Nick Cave that has a kind of you know wilder start in the 70s and 80s and then mm-hmm. in the 90s and after you know it's significantly mellowed out but mm-hmm. 
Lowe is is just an absolute ma- master of kind of taking the good parts from more traditional American music and then actually improving or making them more interesting rather than just being a, a mere tribute or nostalgia act. You know, taking the storytelling of country music, some of the instrumentation, you can hear the in- influence of 50s torch singers like Frank Sinatra. Nick, mm. Nick Lowe is someone who I would put way at the top of that, of the okay. list, if we're looking at Americana. But he's medium obscure. Not, I, I would be very surprised <laughs> if, if any of his albums came close to meeting your criteria. But I, don't, I, you know, I doubt he's sold 10 million copies of any album of his. So he's kind of could in be, that could be. Sustain, sustainably popular, but not, never a star. Yep. So the same question where the, uh, the audience for this is, is, is somewhat unclear. And it's uh, for people who appreciate the finer things and the, the, the refinement of, of certain styles, perhaps, which is not the masses per se. For, for Danny and the Champions now or for? Or for, for, for Lowe. Yeah. Say, even. He's not a he's not a young man, right? He uh, but you, you oh, no, still included his uh, seventy now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You had a twenty first century album of his in your in your list. I recall though. Yeah. No, I I did think both low and um, Grand Drive. Now Danny and the Champions. Danny and the Champions. I would wonder if they're probably an act that has to tour a lot to get their name out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how, how out there they are. I, I think they're they're right on the level with uh, with Grand Drive and the uh, obscurity section so yeah they seem to me they they seem slightly more prominent but that could just be because we're now you know even more firmly in the era of content overload with podcasts and Mm -hmm. youtube and the like so it looks like uh, you can find interviews with him on podcasts or interviews on youtube so they to me they seem a little bit more visible but i haven't looked at sales figures or anything to to back that up do you remember from uh skimming the discography what what kind of ratings are danny and the champions attracting on the music guide they are they are generally positive just there's not very many of them it's like you know single digits mostly yeah yeah I see. Uh, high ratings but uh, very few of them <laughs> and there's there are no no official all music reviews either not a priority it seems as a transition then yeah like i think talking about former bands to solo work i think is, is a way to work from danny to walsh you know, I think that Pedro the Lion got quite a lot of attention. They're semi-famous as a Seattle indie rock band. I can hear the Walsh influence, but he was never the leader. It's kind of interesting to listen to an acclaimed album like Achilles Heel, which is rated very, very highly, and then hear his influence on that, but not really so much on their 2019 album Phoenix, which neither of them I like as much as T.W. Walsh himself and in his solo work. I'm probably in a minority in that, in that a lot of people have heard of Pedro the Lion, but have not heard of Walsh himself, only alone. I can say, if we're ready to talk about Songs of Pain and Leisure, the basic specs for it are as follows. It was released in 2011. There are 10 tracks, totaling 36 minutes. It is on the Grave Face label. All Music Guide has four ratings by users. I have not seen a lot of reviews for it. It is, I would say, in his middle period, if we, if we uh, look at his entire discography, uh, in that it fits in with his more polished work, I would say. His his first album was kind of all around the place, and he was using drum machines and so forth. Really, my favorite album of his is, is Blue Laws from 2001, and so this is uh, some years after that. And then after this album, he goes into full more like a uh, almost even synth pop synth rock in the in the style that I would say is similar to Timber Tomber's latest album where they they kind of explore the the sound of the 1980s this album songs of pain and leisure is right in the middle of that i would say non-committal to either side more folksy on blue laws synth pop on the on his later albums i'm just curious for future listening what are the two or three tracks you'd uh, recommend most highly on your on your favorite album of his and initially when i when i was suggesting what would be a complimentary pick to grand drive i, I suggested old-fashioned way of speaking and this song is described on the world famous website of your Scarifi, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Italian guy who's just a, a single anti-graphics uh, music reviewer and scientist that has been doing this since 1983. He has a very amusing description of the whole album by T.W. Walsh and particularly the song Old Fashioned Way of Speaking, which I recall that you didn't particularly care for when, when you had the option of choosing the Blue Laws album based on that one song or on others, which ultimately led to Songs of Pain and Leisure. Anyway, compares him to Stephen Merritt, first of all, and then the Beatles, and then on the song Old Fashioned Way of Speaking, which I, I tried to 
tried to push on you and uh, you weren't having it. As uh, he said, it's uh, he describes a song in a pedestrian falsetto will produce visions of John Lennon in hell, torturing the damned with repeated encores of across the universe and an evocative, colorful turn of phrase. Other than that, my two other focus tracks for Blue Laws are Lions and Tigers and Bears and Gull Watching. And it's a, it's a I would even call it slowcore. And I would actually prefer that uh, for that reason to the album that we're actually going to focus on, although we can move on to that. I know if slowcore is not your cup of tea, you're welcome sure. to Sure. No, so to that's more <laughs> just gathering notes for myself for future listening. I think the that other album was a little bit harder for me to find, Blue Laws, and then I found just the, the first track mm. was, yeah, a bit slow and lo-fi for me so i kind of gave up shamefully early on, yeah, on yeah, that yeah, one yeah. so we can we can talk about songs of pain and leisure so yeah i generally found this to be a, a pretty strong strong record it's one that i think the three or four tracks i like the best i'm likely to return to googling tw walsh i found it interesting if you look for him his work as a professional sound engineer comes up first now before mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. before his music, mm-hmm. which you know honestly that that doesn't surprise me that he's he's working as a sound engineer. I found this you know for what the songs are, I thought they were quite beautifully mixed. I was pretty impressed overall with the mm-hmm. play with a variety of cleanness and distortion. For example, my little brother which is the most acoustic track on the album and and one of my favorites. They kind of deliberately have the finger-picked guitar be, you know, very kind of murky and reverby, but then the the vocals are mixed, Mm. so they're perfectly clear. Whereas some of the more rock songs like Make It Rhyme, which is the opener, or uh, Pawn Shop Guns, the instruments are a bit cleaner, but probably with the exception of some kind of, you know, more distorted guitar solos but then the the voice will be have distortion on it to kind of contrast with the cleaner sound of the instrument so i i, I really noticed how he was kind of pl- playing with that you know let's have the the voice mm. really clean and the and the instruments a bit more distorted or, or and then switch it track to track so i always find it kind of interesting when a group will will play with different ways of of mixing on the same album to give a kind of left field parallel example one of the the things i find interesting about lana del rey as a singer is that it seems like most of her albums they'll find you know seven or eight different ways of mixing her voice but then once they settle on those kind of presets they'll kind of return to them throughout um as as well so you could actually keep track of the of the different ways of mixing yes i i found it really beautifully mixed i'd say my favorite songs were number two my little brother six pawn shop guns and eight build me a ballpark with one make it rhyme and and four plant a garden as kind of a second tier and then the, the songs I'm, I'm i'm not singling out for praise weren't bad I, it's the type of album the, the parts of it i wasn't as compelled by you could kind of find myself oh wait a minute i'm, I'm listening to something here you know because it, it 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 has a sound of kind of familiar 90s rock music mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the album is, is is never bad but it but at times it it's forgettable but i'd say the, okay. the the higher the higher moments were were quite strong i think i liked this maybe more than i expected Hmm. Pleased to hear that. Certainly, you definitely sound like a sound engineer yourself. And talking about uh, talking about the subtleties of the mix, I'm impressed. And I, I, on another review, I can see that he worked with uh, he worked with Sufjan Stevens and uh, Ra Ra Riot and uh, other big names. So I think that uh, yeah, he's probably got some practice under his belt and knows what he's doing. I also understand that he plays all of the instruments, which is I think impressive. Starting yeah, so out with the drum machine, as I mentioned before. Hmm. Yeah. So I also found that you know this was the type of record where you you could pick what instrument you wanted to listen to and it was consistently pretty interesting maybe the solo guitar work could have been dialed back a, a little bit but yeah the the drums the keys the uh, bass lines were often pretty pretty interesting and, and pretty prominent as as well i don't know if there was an mm-hmm. in, instrument in, in particular that you found more compelling than some of the others i think I, musically musically overall i say I, I don't hear a lot of innovation but i was i think the, these these get by more on clever lyrics like as you mentioned on the opening track make it rhyme I kind of consider that to be like a folk rock version of a rap diss track in which you're puffing yourself up while dissing your opponent, as in a rap battle. 
other other points I think are you know the the referencing field of dreams perhaps and the clever turns of phrase I think he's both clever and vulnerable which is uh, not easy to pull off compared to Grand Drive or Blue Laws there's certainly no country here at all the most country thing about him is always going to be his name and I think he's from Boston which is I of course not really known for putting out country music again on the Blue Laws album there's a lot more folksiness to it the vulnerability in his voice is enough to occupy the entire space on the more confident side of Keaton Henson on on the other other album Blue Laws he also stretches I think to a little bit beyond his range it's not quite falsetto and I think that he knows that he maybe doesn't want to go all the way into falsetto so there's a hesitation there that adds to not only the vulnerability of him but the modesty of his voice which is not to say he can't sing but I've seen others say that he's not really sure that he wants to confess everything that he's singing so it adds a a really human touch to the whole thing. I agree with your take on him as a lyricist. I did find the a lot of the lyrics pretty interesting. Yeah, build me a ballpark. It looked like maybe he was kind of playing with the the figure of the you know high level minor minor league baseball player, which maybe is sort of how he's felt about his music career at some points. Especially if you see this movement, some movement back and forth between working as a sound engineer versus as a musician himself Mm -hmm. and then the song natural causes i thought was was one of the strongest tracks and then that has a really interesting kind of spare lyrical quality where it it almost feels like uh, someone taking stock of their life and just kind of listing the takeaways or the headlines from different years or seasons maybe so the Mm. the 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 spareness of that i found really clever yeah so i'd I'd agree with Mm. your take on him as a gifted gifted lyricist sure i'm glad glad that that part at least i mean i, I can see what you're saying about uh, and while you might not like blue laws as much as in terms of keeping your attention and also my favorite song is in fact on songs of pain and leisure the uh, slow and atmospheric breather the rattling jar which kind of grinds the album slowly to a halt rattling jar probably would have fit a little bit better on blue laws for its pace but i can imagine you would consider it to be too simplistic and didn't hold your attention and in that sense i'm starting to get a better feeling of what does stick with you I think that the song uh, My Little Brother, as you mentioned before, and track number one or two is usually the position of the intended single from the album, if there is going to be one. I identified with it, the lyrics having little brothers, but I I think I, I still don't quite like the song terribly much <laughs> your your understanding of my uh, taste partly because when I, you know when i mess around with music myself it's you know it's normally just me or maybe one other person so then you know definitely i'm kind of working in the folk vernacular but actually the stuff i choose to listen to i i, I often like more complicated you know super produced i don't know, <laughs> you know music with a bit Fair more enough. a bit more there so like i'd rather listen to uh fella cootie than joan baez i don't know <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. That's a, that's to be noted, to be noted. Back to back to Walsh. Having liked Blue Laws so much and having it be an album that really grew on me. In fact, I, over time, I, I, I've come to like it a lot more than I did the first few times I, I did. And after listening to Songs of Pain and Leisure several times, if this had been my introduction to him, I'm not sure I would have put forth a lot of effort into seeking out further albums after this one. When I bought this album, it actually prevented me from seeking out his new releases, which I do kind of like a little bit more than in this album other than his debut i would say this is this is my least favorite album of, of, of his in fact before we put some numbers on it, i want to i want to run by some do you hear these influences in in this album or not because i think some of them you've mentioned and uh, and have liked so there there's comparisons to dinosaur jr i thought you were fond of i don't hear dinosaur jr at all in uh in in this at album all. i mean okay. i think Di- Di- dinosaur jr really sticks to one guitar bass, drums, that's it. And then Jay Maskus is uh, a really innovative guitar player where this uh, album sounded a bit more balanced. And I don't necessarily mean that as by balanced, I don't mean better. It, you know, it's drawing on a few more instruments and it's a bit mellower than Dinosaur Jr. maybe as well. For me, I, I would yeah. say uh, influence that stands out. I would put someone like uh, Tom Petty out there where they, it sounds like he's no trying kidding. to write kind of like classic mellow classic but still mellow rock songs you know (laughs) with a kind of balanced group where everything's getting even attention nothing is standing out too much yeah 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 even keeled and uh okay tom petty interesting 
I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought. I mean, it just goes to show all the all the names you can throw at and disagree about. It shows there's something going on worth listening to. Others have compared his voice to Neil Young, a little pinched, maybe. Do you hear any of that? No, I'm not crazy about that about about that one either. <laughs> yeah, his right. yeah, his vocals are kind of more in the in the middle range of someone like Tom Petty or even John John Mellencamp. To to a certain extent, the thing that kind of surprised me about this album is if if you just played it for someone and said when do you think this was recorded i think i, I might have guessed mm-hmm. you know oh uh 1997 you know <laughs> so it's a kind of um, <laughs> and it was recorded in 2011 so you know right. of course all the time groups the stripes or the 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 strokes or the black keys are all kind of going back to 70s garage rock in the starting in the sure, 2000s sure. but that to me seemed mm-hmm. like a kind of a funny gap of recording a al- album around 2010 and working with the style that pop music had kind of just started to move away from. So it kind of reminds me of a, one of the radio stations uh, of my youth, WTTS 92.3 from Bloomington, Indiana. You could always turn that on and it would have decent medium level rock music with like a mix of newer things and, and, and slightly perhaps, older things. Perhaps and, even college rock, eh? No, I think it, it it was more mainstream. So they would they would stick to, you know, like Bruce oh, Springsteen, really? Neil Young, Jimi Hendrix, you know, hmm. maybe Pearl Jam, you know. And then so it station that was never terrible, but would also never <laughs> knock your socks off. Yeah, um, stayed and not risky. Yeah, well, uh, classic, but not risky. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So to the extent uh, that okay. it, that this album had forgettable tracks, it kind of reminded me of turning on uh, ninety-two point three WTTS and then maybe <laughs> zoning zoning out due to its kind of predictability. Okay. okay. But the the high points I thought were were quite high. Some right. strange comparisons are coming up from the uh, Hive Mind Online. Do you have more uh, comparisons have for me to reject? More. Or? One more. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Set them up, you'll knock them down. <laughs> a, are you familiar with M. Ward? No, I'm not. So I'll I'll defer ah, to you on okay. on that one. This one, this one, I think. Uh, so he's, I guess he's from Oregon, and he's described as a breezy uh, folk rock kind of guitarist. I saw I've seen him live actually, and uh, after after seeing him live, my friend and I said, "Well, this was like going to see a an in person live version of Austin City Limits," and we did not mean that as a as a as a compliment. Although I, I remember you mentioning it as you you do actually like Austin City Limits. M. Ward is the kind of uh, single acoustic guitar and vocalist kind of person I might find on Austin City Limits of the past. There's, does it sound like his, his more minimalist songs, uh, uh, Walsh's, I mean, are, are kind of just one guy and a guitar that are slightly still more on the rock side than folk? I'd really like your opinion of M. Ward. M. Period W. A. R. D. Would be uh, is, another. Is he uh, obscure enough to warrant an episode or no? Uh, Zoe Zoe Deschanel, what's her name? Him and her. He did uh, duets with her. But she's a very popular lady. I think she was on TV. But yeah, he's actually pretty famous and has done duets with with her. I, I don't know. Having seen him live, only reinforced. That sense of having very competent musicianship, but not very compelling music. Killing with faint praise sort of situation. One, Austin City Limits has tons of variety in terms of who they who they actually have on there, at least re- recently. So sure you can do. watch uh, Mitski or St. Vincent or LCD Sound System. So yeah, anyone you want. Long-lasting institution, I'm sure. Yeah. And, what I'm uh, referring to is from the earlier days before YouTube when you had to watch whatever PBS had lined up. You know, what's funny is I always think of ACL as having uh, groups with a pretty, pretty strong uh, rock component. I mean, I think the oldest stuff that I've watched on there is Lucinda Williams from the 80s. But yeah, mm-hmm. you actually make, you make me curious about exploring that history a little bit more because I've just kind of followed hmm. who's who's on recently or you know if I've searched YouTube for live things yeah but this thing of B-list actress that then gets to be a D-list musician I have heard the She and Him album which I found pretty pretty bad oh, but uh, there you go. maybe there you go. Oh, maybe okay. a half a half notch above uh, Scarlett Johansson's full cover album of all Tom Waits songs which <laughs> I think she's perfectly good as a as a as an actor but uh, the Tom Waits cover album was uh, absolute desecration so yeah i'm more i'm more skeptical of this guy after learning that he uh cashed it in on that but i'm still willing to listen and um there's another guy do you know dan dan burns do you like him at all no who is he 
So Dan Byrne is also a kind of quirky folk musician who just, you know, has to tour like hell to survive and get his name out there, who I, I, I really like. He has uh, 20 or 30 albums. I probably only listened to two or three of them, but the two or three I've heard I really like. So we mm. could potentially do a Dan Byrne uh, M. Ward episode if you want. I'm not torturing you by diving more into folk because <laughs> right. I do actually like a lot of them. We could do like, a whole episode on uh, Nigerian uh, funk music or something instead if you need more, if you want more instruments. I'm, I'm, ready, to, I'm ready to get super weird and worldly. Yeah, I've had enough folk for a while okay so. sure yeah <laughs> for next time that covers all i have to say i think so i'm ready to give some numbers so as i mentioned i prefer blue laws and i think it's great that right up there with the grand drive album as, as an eight uh, for blue laws for this one though as i mentioned i think it's just kind of straightforward and it's fine it's good it's okay it's not gonna it's not gonna knock my socks off as you said yourself it could fit on your radio station there and i give it a, a six out of ten yeah i think i i agree completely there are three or four songs on here that I think I'll, I'll call and listen to regularly. Overall, I was, I was really impressed with the musicianship and the sound engineering. So bonus points on, on learning that he's recording all the instruments him, himself. So some real standout tracks with uh, Natural Causes and Build Me a Ballpark and Pawn Shop Guns. And I'd agree with the six out of ten. Six, if, if you made me rethink it, I would lean more heavily towards seven than five. But yeah, I think uh, six hmm. is probably where I I'd put it as well, um, considering yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that yeah. you know, at, at most, I'll continue listening to three or four songs from this album. In its weaker moments, it sounds kind of like uh, late 90s rock music with some kind of cliched guitar riffs. But at its stronger moments, it's really elegantly performed and, and mixed in a pretty pleasing way. And then we both complimented him on the lyrics as well. But I'll stick with mm -hmm. six out of ten as well. Mm -hmm. I think it shows the importance for me of having a, a, at least a few really strong songs. And I, I just didn't really hear it on this album. And like I said, I have listened to the album something like, you know, five times in the last couple of weeks. And if it's, if it were bad, I wouldn't be able to do that. So, I mean, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice sound. I also want to say that in general, I, I should congratulate you not only for agreeing with me, but we were two for two here. You're also two for two. Like your pick is, uh, is I end up rating it more highly than my own pick. Good on you for that. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see if there's an exception comes down the pipeline for future. See, I, I hope, future can, hope we can keep uh, <laughs> leaving our comfort zones ever so slightly, or maybe by a lot next time. We'll see. Anyway, okay, well, I think that that concludes it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll, we'll, we'll bring back DJ Keep Roomy again soon. I hope. Okay. Until next time.